welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. We thank God that he is amazing, isn't he? And we are honored to come and worship him in this place. Would you pray with me? God, the living God, the God who is hard to describe. He said you're indescribable, and yet we still can describe you. We can describe you because you've revealed yourself to us. You have not hidden yourself, and yet there is so much depth to your love and depth to your grace that there is a sense that words cannot express how incredible your love for us is and how incredible your grace is. Isn't it graceful that the God of heaven and earth would even speak to us? That the God of heaven and earth would speak to us through men, frail, flawed, inconsistent men. And here today, that is what we've expected. That is what we've came to hear. We have not come to hear men talk to men, but yet we have come to hear the living God speak to his people. And so today, there are some here today that need to make a decision. They need to come to a conclusion. They need to come to the place where they are crossing the line from seeing you far away and having you up close. And I pray that everyone in this room and everyone at the sound of my voice would be able to sing that song with such intimacy that you are indescribable. So God, I ask, speak to us again. Talk to us again. Tell us who you are again. Because even those who are near you need to be reminded of your grace. We need to be reminded of who you are. We need to remember who you are and whose we are. We need to be reminded of you, God. And so we come with the posture of ears to hear. And I come with the posture of dependency on the spirit of the living God. And all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat. Please have a seat. Well, it's always an exciting time coming back in September. We have a lot of visitors here today, and so we thank you so much for coming out. And for those of you that are not really visiting, but you've been checking us out, we praise God for you as well. We are starting a new series, and this series really is based upon one major idea. It is this. A lot of people come to some conclusions about God, but what conclusions has God said about himself? In other words, it's one thing if you know me and you've talked to me and you express the ideas that I say, but many times people have ideas about God that they've heard about. In other words, when I was growing up in church, I'm a church kid. I'm a preacher's kid in church every Sunday, all the time, singing songs all the time. And in, as a church kid, I knew all the Bible stories and I knew all the songs. And oftentimes the pastor would say something about Moses or they would say something about Pharaoh or they'd say something about the woman at the well. And I didn't actually read the stories for myself, but I learned the rhythm of amens. Like I knew when to say yeah and okay and go ahead. I learned when to do those things. And so I found myself as a young man getting caught up in a culture of acceptance. 
I accepted Jesus culturally, but not intimately. I accepted him because the crowd accepted him. But the problem with accepting Jesus when you're in the crowd is that when I got to a crowd that rejected him, I did the same thing. I went to college and I did everything I was big and bad enough to do. When I went to college, I'll never forget, there was a teacher there, and he was real deep. He wore a dashiki to class every time. He had this big onk on his neck, you know, and he was real deep. He had a PhD in philosophy and a PhD in theology. So it was like, oh, man, he knows everything. So I walk into class. One of the first things out his mouth was, now, y'all don't believe that snakes can talk, do you? I was like, I guess not. I guess I don't believe snakes can talk. I guess I don't believe the Genesis account is real. I guess I don't. And what was crazy is the people in the classroom were just like me. They had grown up in an environment of acceptance, a culture of acceptance. And when he said it, his authority and the way he brought his ideas, his confidence made me think, I guess he's right. And here's the point. I grew up in a culture of acceptance And then I started to grow in a culture of rejection. But I wasn't in intimacy with God. In other words, I had not analyzed the stories for myself. I was always getting secondhand stories from my parents, secondhand stories from my teacher. But did I know the true story for myself? And this series, we want us to examine the true story of God and the church. We want to analyze from the scriptures, and we want to create a safe space for doubt. We want to create a safe space for people not to just accept because we're in the crowd, and not just to reject because you saw a meme or you heard some video somewhere and you thought, oh man, that makes sense. But it would be right for us to analyze what God says about himself. And so this is what we're going to do. We are going to walk through five truths about God in the church. The first is we're going to talk about what is God's nature? Who is God? How does he act? What is he like? Then we're going to talk about is Christianity the white man's religion? And the reason why we phrased it that way is because oftentimes people think just because of colonialism and the way this country was started, many people accept Jesus because they've been forced to. Why does God allow suffering? Are gender roles still a thing? What are are gender, male and female, what are those things about? And then is the Bible accurate? Is it reliable? So each sermon will touch on those areas, and we pray that you would become more confident in his word and confident in him. But in addition to that, we pray that you would invite your friends who have doubts because we want to create a safe space for your friends that you would go out and invite and say, come, learn with me about the truths of God. Uh, The sixth part of this series, though, will be a seven o'clock service that we do. It's called Soul Cafe. So we'll have music and poetry and dance, and then we'll have a Q&A. And during that Q&A, you'll be able to text in questions, questions that you might have always had. And it doesn't matter if you've been walking with God forever or you've just been inquiring about spiritual things. We want you to be able to text in those questions. And so that night will be filled with a lot of anticipation and excitement. And we pray that, again, that you would invite your friends and that you would be there And I am trusting that this room would be beyond filled. And I'm trusting that God is going to do some great things during that time. I believe that God is going to show up and he's going to reveal himself in a very special, special way. Now, um, so this series, I get excited about these things because I believe God is not afraid of hard questions. You know, when you're the creator of the world, you ain't scared. You ain't scared. I ain't scared of these questions. 
So I think God is confident in himself. And so I think he has something to say about himself. Now, the culture, the culture, the Western culture that we live in, most people still believe there is a God. The problem is they believe in their version of God. And so I believe God is like a benevolent grandfather. He cares for me, brings me cookies, makes me feel nice and warm. I believe God is a judge, you know, big and strong, and he takes, he only deals with the real bad people. I believe God is the first cause. I believe he started everything. He is the creator. And then some believe that God could be a father, but if he is a father, he's distant. There are many beliefs, but what's interesting is that people only want the God that fits into their imagination. The God that fits into the way they see life should work. And what we're really getting at in this series is, we believe the Bible is a revelation of God. And so far be it from us wanting you to believe in a God of your imagination, when there is a God of revelation, a God who has spoken for himself and has something to say. And so in light of this, we wanna tackle some of the tougher dynamics of his nature and his personality. Now. If God were to say something about himself, one of the first things he would say is in Isaiah 55 and 8. God says this, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. So the Lord just starts it off and say, you know how you're thinking about me? Stop, pause, and reflect on this. You don't think like I do. You don't do what I do. You know, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. Right, because you're not God and you don't think the way he thinks. That's his point. So the God you may be conjuring up may be a fantasy. When there is a real God, think about this. If God is a person, don't you think he wants to speak for himself? Don't you think that he wants to be able to declare himself? And then it, it gets scary when we rename God to be what we want. That's what masters do to slaves. They take away their name and force them to be what they want them to be. And in many ways, people don't want a God that is Lord. They want a slave that, that does my will. And yet God is a person who has something to say. And so he tells us this, that his ways are not our ways and our thoughts, his thoughts are not our thoughts. So if we were to understand two things about God, in other words, if God was like in a taxi with us and he was talking to us, what would be in this short amount of time that God would have to tell us about himself, what would he say about himself? Well, I believe God would tell us about his character and then he would also express to us his personality. Now, his character. God is holy. That's his character. He's holy. And when we say God is holy, we're saying an expression of Isaiah 55. God is different than us, but he's not just different. The word holy comes from the idea of being separate, or we would use the phrase that it comes from linguistically, the idea of being a cut above. God is higher than us. His ways are higher than us. And if you were to whittle down an idea or a definition of holiness, it is a transcendent purity that goes way beyond any kind of purity that we understand. 
Now, the scriptures talk about Christians are called to be holy. We are called to be morally pure, and we are. We should be holy in all that we do as a believer. But you and I know you are inconsistent. But God, while we are inconsistent, God is perfect. And so you may be kind, you may be loving, you may be just, but God's holiness, his holiness penetrates all other characteristics about them. In other words, holiness isn't just one attribute in a line of number of attributes for God. His holiness penetrates all his attributes. So he's just, but he has a holy justice. He's loving, but he has a holy lovingness. He's kind, but he has a holy kindness. His holiness permeates all that he does. The essence of his character is holiness and purity. And so when he is worshiped, there's several times we see in the scriptures him being worshiped, Isaiah and in Revelation. And you know what the angels keep saying? The Bible says in Revelation 4, 8, day and night, they say, holy, holy, holy. They're blown away by his holiness. They're, they can't imagine his majesty and how awesome he is. He's holy. They don't say mercy, mercy, mercy. They don't say love, love, love. They say holy. Because his holiness, to see him, that is what captures their imagination as the angels look upon him and worship him. His holiness is his character. Now, more, more often than not, when we use the word holiness, we use it in a derogatory term, right? We say someone's holier than thou. And what we're realizing is that people really are imperfect. That's our theology. We know everybody's imperfect. But God does not use that in that way to to make himself seem above us. He's using that to show that he is before us, that he is beyond us, that he is transcendent. God's character is holy. Now, why is it important we establish that? Because to understand his character will help you with the second part of how he is and who he is. God is holy and he expresses himself as a father. Now, when I say the word father, immediately there are thoughts that go in your mind. Some of you, good thoughts. Some of you, bad thoughts. But remember, as I talk about his fatherliness, we're talking about a holy father. A father that's different than your father. A father that's beyond your father. A father that is transcendent. He is holy and he is a father. If you have your Bible, you can go to Psalm 103, Psalm 103. If you have your phone, you can look there. And if you don't have that, you can look up on the screen. Psalm 103, a majestic psalm. I wish we could unpack the whole thing, but there are parts of it that tell us about God and tell us about his character and his nature and his personality. Psalm 103 reads this way, verses 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The first thing about his fatherliness is it says that he is compassionate. Now, this is crazy because if you have different versions of the Bible, this word is translated differently, all types of places. Some say they, he pities us. Some say he feels for us. But what's crazy is that they couldn't find enough words to express what he's really trying to get at there. Compassion 
is almost like this nurturing kind of deep, intense love. And interestingly enough, the only other time this word is used, this word for compassion is used, it's actually talking about mothers and how mothers love their children. And it tells us something deep about how God expresses compassion and how he is a father. In Isaiah, Isaiah 49 and 15, it says it this way. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on, the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Now, the word compassion there is the same word. Now, this is crazy. Look at what is being expressed here. God is speaking to his people, and he's saying, you know what? Could you imagine a woman nursing their child at their breast? Or a woman who has been having a child in the womb? Can you imagine them forgetting their child? After having them so close and intimate? And the, the response of the people should be like, no, I can't imagine that. But he says, even these may forget. I won't forget you though. Oh, that's so powerful because what he's saying is, yes, the expectation of how you should have been parented came from the fact that someone had you so close to their breast and had you inside their body that when you came out of them, you expected them to nurture you the rest of your life and yet you got to the age of 30 and now your connection isn't the same. Though they may forget you, I won't forget you. And though you currently may not be being parented, I will parent you. I will be the parent you don't have. You see that? The depth, I will be there for you. I will nurture you. I will care for you. And one of the greatest expressions of his love is how close a child is at the breast. That's how much he loves. That's how deep it's. A woman is biologically rooted to love their child. And God is expressing himself in that way. Now, this deep connection that we see, we expect, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But this verse causes me to challenge one notion, and it is this. There is the natural tendency to wonder, why do I keep saying he and him as I talk about God? There are versions of the Bible that actually cut out all the male words about God so that it doesn't say he or him because we don't want to put that on, we don't want to put the cultural images of men on top of women. We don't want to use those ideas. And what's interesting is this imagery of God is transcending maleness and femaleness. In other words, though God is a father, he is more transcendent than being male or female. In other words, this will blow your mind. Femininity is an expression of him. In other words, God is not in touch with his feminine side. He created the feminine side. So, so it goes beyond what I'm trying to tell you is 
when people try to take out words about God and he and her, that they, they are putting their baggage from daddy onto the Bible. And what I'm trying to tell you is God is not a father. He's the father. He is the greatest father. In other words, it, when we see fathers, I don't care how good your daddy is. They, I, you got a good daddy? Great. He's the best father because a good father is a bad expression of him. Femaleness and maleness came from him. So don't box him in. Don't box him in. He transcends our cultural definitions. Do you see how deep this love is? How deep this love he has for his people. And what, what this is saying, what this is saying is that Deep within us, we long for that kind of love. We long for that kind of compassion, that kind of deep love. We've been made for that. And if we don't have it, we'll still feel like an orphan. Even married, even with kids, even your own family, you'll still feel like an orphan without this deep transcendent love. The scripture goes on, Psalm 103, verse 14. Why does God love us so deeply? Uh, go to verse 14. Is that up there? Thank you. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion. The same word keeps getting repeated. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So the text kind of gets at why is he so compassionate towards us? Why does he care for us so much? And he says, the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And that's definitely a response to his love. But he looks beyond how much we revere and how, or how much we are in awe of him. He says, for he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. <laughs> dust. The idea of dust is a synonym for us being a mess. He knows how frail you are. He knows how fragile you are. And like a good parent, he is compassionate towards your weaknesses. You see, my wife and I, it's amazing. This happens every time. One of our children, I won't name which one, always getting in trouble, always doing stuff, always getting me upset. And I come home, and I am that dude. I am that dad. I am that dad. I come home, and I'm like, you know, because the kids, they get green, yellow, or red. You know what I'm saying? After a day of school. So I come home, and I'm that dude. I find out she got yellow. I'm like, why? What's up? Why you get yellow? Don't you get warnings before you get yellow? Yo, you get yellow again tomorrow. You know, and I'm, I'm that guy. I am the consequence, man. That's who I am. That's my baggage. And every time, my wife is like, you know what it is? See what it is? She was tired. <laughs> she didn't go to bed last night. And so I'm like, Dad, stop. Baby, stop making excuses for her. We need to be real with them like our parents were. We need to just like choke them like my parents. Did. I mean, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. But y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay. Whew. 
No, I'm that guy. I'm that guy that just reacts, you know? And my wife is always like, think about who they are. You, me- you remember how she, you know, she's sensitive. Come on, remember how she is. I mean, haven't you done that? Haven't you met people and you're like, hmm, they're strange. <laughs> and then you get lunch with them and you're like, that's why. <laughs> Your daddy won there? That's why, that's why. Oh, okay, okay. Then what happens is when you find out why they're weird, they get weird in community, and then you're around them, and somebody goes, why they like that? You're like, see what it is, is. They daddy won't dare. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? When you know someone, the compassion just flows. What happens when you created someone? What happens when you've created them? What happens when your fingers went in the soil of Genesis and you created them from the dirt? What happens when it was you that created man? And he is not like me. Because even though I've been with my daughter ever since she was born and I know her personality, when I get angry, I forget. I forget her frame. I forget her personality. Because even in my best parenting, I'm dust. He remembers our frame. He knows we're from the dust. And like a good parent, he has so much compassion. So much compassion. But remember this. He does get angry. He does get angry. The next verses 8, 9, and 10. The Lord is merciful. Amen. The Lord is gracious. He's slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love. I wish I could unpack that. Go back to a few sermons. I, I unpacked what Hesed love was, an incredible word. He will not always chide, meaning get at you, nor will his anger, will he keep his anger, anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. So this is a very important point that I really need to just bring out. So just hear what I'm saying. And I pray the Holy Spirit would teach you right now who God is. If you've been far from God, I pray that God would open up your heart right now as I talk and you would hear about God again. In verse 10, in verse 10 at the very end, it says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. So that's a very important point. He does not repay. So he doesn't have repay kind of anger. When I bring my kids out, okay, I'm just, is it okay if I just have a counseling session with y'all today (laughs) to tell you about all my parenting baggage, praise God? When I bring my kids out, but some of y'all, some of y'all parents know what I'm, about, about what I'm about to say. When I bring my kids out, and we'll be at like an ice cream shop, right? And it's real quiet, and they start wiling out, you know? I lean over. <laughs> Sometimes I'll, I'll pinch them. And I'll be like, don't embarrass me up in here. <laughs> and then every now and then, the one I was talking about before, praise God, you can pray for them. The one I was talking about, they'll, they'll just keep going. They'll be like, ice cream, I'm stupid. I ain't got no home training. I ain't got no home training. And I'm just like, 
And when I take them out, I'm just like, yo, when I get home, you're dead. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, oh. Because you embarrassed me. And I want to repay you for that embarrassment. I want to repay you. In other words, there was, I want to make an exchange for the amount that you made me feel like a fool. I want to bring pain to your life. I want to give you repay anger. Some of you grew up in repay anger. It's toxic. It destroys a home. And some of you have tough time going through conflict now because all the anger you ever saw never produced anything. So you're afraid to enter into conflict. You see, but God's not that way. Y'all read that? He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. He's not trying to pay you back for how he was hurt. But in verse 9, just notice, it says he will not keep his anger. So he won't harbor his anger, but he does get angry. And this is where the culture stiff arms God. He, he, he does get angry. He is a, a person. But notice, he doesn't keep his anger. Do you know people that should have gotten over something by now? And they ain't over it yet. And it was so petty. And it was like, you stole some piece of gum when we were five and we're like 35. It's time to like get over it. And they keep their anger. Like when you talk to them about it, they still there. He doesn't keep his anger. But this is what I want to be clear. The, the verse above it, the Lord is merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. Oh, that's a very interesting idea. God is slow to anger. His anger is under control. His anger is patient. In other words, the Bible doesn't separate the idea of him being compassionate and angry. They're talking about it in the same set of verses. So what it filled with is a God who knows your frame, but he's mad at you. And he, un he understands you, but he's not going to put up with certain things. And we only see God as this angry, wrathful. Some of you grew up in churches where it was just fire and brimstone every Sunday. Like, you're going to get it. God's going to give it to you today. We're going to get you a belt. We're going to go through the Psalms, just whoop your tail all through the scriptures every day. And every Sunday you walk out with your toes hurting, like, oh my gosh, I feel horrible about God. And the only reason why you obey him is because you fear him, not out of a loving fear, but you just don't want to get beat up. But no, <laughs> he's, he's controlled in his anger. And yet he still has compassion, deep compassion, two ideas together. He's under control. And he has a deep love for us. If we don't combine these two ideas, we'll see some of the failings we see in parenting. A parent does wrong if they're too permissive. You can go out whenever you want. You can do whatever you want. Come back whenever you want. Do whatever you want in school. Have whatever you want. I'll get you whatever you want. Whatever you like, you can have it. 
And you feel that, even single people, when you're on the train or when you're in a restaurant and you're looking and you can just tell this kid is running the show. And the problem is the very thing that overly permissive parent thinks they're doing, it's actually working against them. By giving a child everything you, they want, you're actually not giving them the thing they need. They need to know they have boundaries. They need to know there's something set up and there's a line that they can cross. They need to know you have a line. And knowing that there's a line, they know they can trust your words and you are a safe place. When you're overly permissive, you end up making the child feel like an orphan. But when you are overly angry, and what many of you felt growing up, that toxic anger, that payback anger, well, that makes the child feel horrible too. And what we need is new type of parenting, a new type of parenting. Parenting that you're designed for. Now, let me just say this before I go to this next verse. I am, I'm turning 40 this year, praise the Lord. Getting a little older, you know what I'm saying? Thank you for those clapping for my age. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> but I'm excited about it. I'll talk about that in another, another sermon. But uh, I'm still a child. I'm older, heavier, got some gray. But underneath all the experiences I have, I'm still a child. You see, I'm still sensitive. And I still need fatherly guidance. I'm old enough now to know my, heavenly, my, my earthly father is flawed. I'm old enough now to have face-to-face -face conversations with mom to know her flaws. And in fact, as I get older, and I transcend my parents' wisdom, I actually hunger more. I hunger more for a parent love that's stronger than my parents. I'm still a child, and you are still a child. You're still a kid. You're a little older, you're still a child. And all your experiences, you can't shake that need. You can't shake that hunger. You need a guide. And there is an entryway into that relationship. Psalm 103, 18. It says, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Understand this. When the scripture talks about keeping a covenant, it is talking about the idea of a contract, a contract being created between God and men, a covenant, something that is unbreakable. But the thing you have to understand about a covenant is you must enter into it. A covenant doesn't just happen. It has to be a mutual agreement between two parties, and these parties weren't in that agreement beforehand. That's very, very important because particularly in uh, minority cultures, there is this notion that we're all children of God. And in a sense, we are. To be a child, you must have existence. A parent brings you into the world. 
To be a child, you must have resemblance. You look something like your parents. But to be a child, it's more than existence, i.e. God is my creator. It's more than just resemblance, i.e. I'm made in the image of God. But it's also relationship, meaning God is my father. He's my father. He's my intimate father. And the scriptures unpack this picture of God being father, our father, this way. In John chapter one, verse 12, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, he gave them the right. He gave these people the right to become children of God. And you aren't born a child of God because our world has gone a very dark way. And you feel this in the systems of our society. You feel this in the way that life is breaking down. You feel this in your soul and it's called the fallenness of this world. And the world, the world must be redeemed. It must be brought back into the way that God intended it to be. And the way that God redeems us back is by sending his son to die for our sins. The anger that he has had, there is this sense that at some point God will get tired of me. At some point his anger will just well up. And his anger did well up. His anger was poured out and it was poured out on his son, Jesus. And he poured out all his wrath, all his anger, and he judged all your shame, all your guilt, all of it. And if you would believe, if you would believe on the name of Jesus, if you would believe in that sacrifice, then you get the right to be called a child of God. Now what's interesting is you may I don't know where you're at today. You may walk out of here and say, well, I'm a child of God anyway. And you are well within your right to do that. But realize this, when you're intimate with someone, when you're intimate with someone, you talk to them a certain way. And it is a shame that you would talk to God and talk to him in formality, call him God and Lord, and yet Jesus, when he talked to God, he called him Abba, Daddy. He was his child. Do you feel like God is your father? Turn that down just a little bit. Turn that down just a little bit, just a little bit. Do you feel God is your father? Do you feel his compassion towards you? Do you feel his chastening? He chastens whom he loves. Do you feel that in your life? Are you aware of that in your life? It is not enough to agree that God is a father. Is he your father? Is he intimate with you? Because I want you to receive that right to become a child of God. We are gonna sing a song here, and in singing it, there are some particular words that I feel would be so helpful to declaring to him today.
It's a song called Good Father, and you sang it before, but maybe you didn't feel the depth of the words. In the song, Chris Tomlin wrote, he said, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night, and you tell me you're pleased and that I'm never alone. I wonder if you've had that moment with God where you are confident he's pleased with you and you become confident in that because of Jesus, because of Jesus today. If you leave today agreeing that God is a father but walking away as an orphan, what good is that? If you agree that God is a father but you walk away as an orphan, what good is that? We're going to pray and then we're going to sing and we're going to take communion together. If you do not feel comfortable taking communion, if you do not feel you're a child of God, if you have not declared God as your God and Jesus as your Savior, feel free to move beyond the bread and the wine. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you bring us into relationship. We thank you that you create a covenant with us. We thank you that we have the right to be called children of God, but only if we believe. And the key is our belief today, our belief today. And I pray that some today would believe. They would know, they would be certain that you are their God and you are their Father. And we thank you, God, that you will have a compassionate anger. But Holy Spirit, do your work. Speak to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.